It's Thursday, November 17th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the FDA has given approval for the first time to a lab-grown meat. Plus, another company is genetically modifying plants to work as super-powered air purifiers. And 500 new words like bay and subtweets have been added to the official Scrabble dictionary. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. I've mentioned lab-grown or cultivated meat a few times on this podcast. That is, meat made from real animal cells, but which doesn't require the slaughter of those animals. Well, in a first, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has given the green light to one company's lab-grown chicken. The company, California-based Upside Foods, will still need to get additional clearance from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and there are a number of other hurdles to clear before lab-grown meat reaches consumers, but this is still a major turning point. The only other nation that had previously given regulatory approval to cultivated meat was Singapore, where U.S.-based brand Good Meat, part of the company Eat Just, was greenlit two years ago. According to Vox, that product has been sold at a loss in a high-end restaurant and hotel. Will it be different in the U.S.? While the technology holds great promise, there are a lot of hurdles that still need to be cleared. And just to clarify, this approval only applies to Upside Foods Chicken, not to other products from them or products from other companies, of which there are many, working on meats like beef, salmon, tuna, and more. Vox's Kenny Torella visited the production facility of Upside Food earlier this year and reported that their meat tasted gamey and crispy, though Torella also admits to having been a vegan for 15 years, and I can say, as someone who is lactose intolerant and has occasionally been vegetarian, go long enough without the real thing, and your impression of how good alternative versions are can be a bit off. I have often said that various lactose-free ice creams taste just like the real thing, only for a friend of mine to try it and ardently disagree. So I'd take Torella's taste review with a grain of salt, although it does answer a curiosity about whether people who are vegan would be willing to eat cultivated meat. I'm sure it will vary from person to person, but was interesting to find out. And here's how Torella describes exactly what cultivated meat is. Quote, The novel meat goes by many names, lab-grown, cultivated, cell-based, and cell-cultured, just to list a few. For years, the lab-grown descriptor was accurate, given that efforts hadn't gone much further than the lab. Now, some of the 100 startups around the world working to get it on your dinner plate are moving out of the lab and into small production facilities as they gear up for regulatory approval. But their offerings are wholly distinct from the vast array of plant-based meat products already on the market, like those from Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, which are made with plant ingredients like soy, wheat, peas, beans, starches, and oil. Cultivated meat, on the other hand, is real meat, but made without slaughtering or harming any animals. 
Startups take a biopsy of a living animal, a minimally invasive procedure, and create cell lines to avoid the need for continual biopsies. The cells are then grown in bioreactors, large stainless steel tanks, meant to mimic the inside of an animal, meaning the cells are kept at a certain temperature and fed a mix of nutrients, like amino acids, sugars, salt, and proteins, to help them proliferate and develop into fat or muscle tissue. End quote. And from Wired, quote, Cultivated meat is theoretically indistinguishable from real meat itself. Once the cells have grown and differentiated into the correct kind of tissue, they can be harvested and used in cultivated meat products. But growing cells in this way is still extremely expensive. Startups keep the exact cost of growing their cells tightly under wraps, but it's likely that pure, cultivated meat will still be several times the cost of conventional meat. Some projections for future facilities suggest that even large facilities will produce meat at a cost of $17 per pound, which would translate into much higher prices in restaurants and grocery stores. Because of this price premium, it's likely that the first cultivated meat products released to the public will be a blend of animal cells and plant-based meat, end quote. The first cultivated meat debuted in 2013, a creation of Dutch scientist Mark Post, who put the lab-grown hamburger up for sale for $325,000. Since then, hundreds of cultivated meat companies have proliferated around the world. Upside Foods in particular was founded in 2015, originally as Memphis Meats, by cardiologist Uma Valetti, and it's been backed by investors including Richard Branson, Bill Gates, and meat companies Tyson and Cargill. Valetti told the New York Times that he got the idea to make cell-cultured meat after using stem cells to repair patients' hearts. He quit his job as a cardiologist to found the company. And Upside has been seeking this FDA approval for years, so it came as a bit of a surprise that it finally happened. Quoting the Times, The next step is for the Department of Agriculture to develop an inspection process for the company's production plants and approve a label for the finished product. Industry experts said that clearance from the Food and Drug Administration was the biggest hurdle for products seeking to go to market, and that they expected the chicken to receive confirmation from the Department of Agriculture in the coming months. End quote. Once that happens, Upside plans to focus on restaurants before reaching out to grocery stores. Wired notes that it will probably be limited to upscale restaurants at first. Valetti said, quote, We would want to bring this to people through chefs in the initial stage. Getting chefs excited about this is a really big deal for us. We want to work with the best partners who know how to cook well and also give us feedback on what we could do better. End quote. And that sounds like good thinking to get some solid recipes going and drum up excitement or social approval among the upper crust first, I guess. Most coverage about lab-grown meat does question how readily consumers will get behind it. The New York Times points to hesitancy around genetically modified food. And I'm sure if people find out their lab-grown chicken was funded in part by Bill Gates, we'll get all kinds of conspiracy theories about 5G and chicken. But by and large, I could see it taking off at least as much as products like Beyond Burgers and Impossible Food Patties have, which is to say more than I frankly would have expected. I do think there's a growing population of people who are concerned about the environmental impact of meat, even if that concern or additional concerns about animal welfare aren't enough to get them to stop eating meat altogether. A lot of people would welcome an alternative. 
But could it scale up to be enough of an alternative to make a difference? Quoting Wired, The FDA decision doesn't mean that cultivated meat will be widely available in the near future. Current production facilities are very small, and many in the industry have serious reservations about lab-grown meat's ability to eventually put a dent in global meat consumption. The next phase for us and the industry is demonstrating scalability, says Valetti, likening the cultivated meat industry today to the electric car industry's infancy. Our industry is similar in that it'll take 5, 10, 15 years to scale up and for most people to access it in many parts of the world. But it is the future. End quote. 5 to 15 years sounds like a pretty measured prediction to me. And I like the electric car analogy. You know, it took forever for those to take off, but I feel like we really hit a tipping point with the electric F-150 last year. If we can get more companies approved, bring down the cost of production, and then have an F-150 moment, you know, maybe with McNuggets or something, then I could see cultivated meat really taking off. That is a lot of ifs, though. Well, on a similar note, a Paris-based startup has engineered a pothos plant to be able to purify the air as well as 30 plants just on its own. The startup Neoplants, the spiritual successor to Neopets, states their mission as building the first generation of bioengineered plants that fight air pollution. That pothos is their first product, called Neop1, and it's currently available on a waitlist for $179, which sounds like a lot for a houseplant, but it is about what a solid household air purifier costs. The overarching concept is being able to purify air without the use of electricity. And since their inception, Neoplants' mission has gotten a lot less niche. Between the pandemic and increasing wildfires, the public is much more aware these days about the air that they breathe and wanting to invest in air purification technology. Quoting Inverse, Here's the background. Volatile organic compounds, also known as VOCs, are highly reactive chemicals that are commonly found in things like paints, cleaning supplies, building materials, and pesticides. As a result, they tend to be abundant in indoor air. Unfortunately, they're not particularly good for human health. VOCs are known to cause headaches, eye and throat irritation, and in some extreme cases, even liver damage or cancer. The trouble is, most VOCs are very tiny molecules, which make them extremely difficult to remove from indoor air with a mechanical filter. Even the molecules large enough to be filtered are simply removed and re-released in a different location, rather than neutralized or eliminated completely. But plants have an advantage here over HEPA filters. Their small size means that VOCs can be absorbed and metabolized by greenery with relative ease. While a commonly cited 1989 NASA report claimed that plants can clear the air in a closed environment, more research found that flora only has a modest effect on these types of pollutants. It turns out that plants just need a little metabolic tweaking to get the job done, according to the Neoplants team, end quote. To start that tweaking, in verse notes, most bioengineers would have started with a plant whose genomes have already been sequenced. But Neoplants wanted to use a plant that people are familiar with, one which is already super popular in homes, the pothos. 
That meant having to map the entire pathos genome themselves and then start working on which of those genes to target. It took them four years, but now the team has a pathos that can metabolize the four major indoor air pollutants and absorb some VOCs present in wildfire smoke. Quoting again, but the real breakthrough came from modifying the microorganisms living in the plant's roots. The team inserted genes from extremophile bacteria, which thrive in inhospitable environments by eating toxic chemicals, into those symbiotic microbes. This tweak, in turn, boosted the plant's pollutant metabolizing capacity. End quote. And in case you're worried about any kind of little shop of horror situation, the Neoplants team was clear that they did not edit any other parts of the genome. Nothing that would affect its survival in the wild, give it an unfair advantage, make it resistant to pesticides, or make it crave human flesh, particularly that of statistic dentists. And they are not stopping at Pothos. The team is already working on other house plants to add to the lineup, and their really ambitious goal? genetically engineering plants to capture and store significantly more carbon than they do naturally. Co-founder and CEO Lionel Mora told Inverse, quote, From what we see, carbon capture and storage is the most pressing issue, and there is no way biology isn't going to play a part in the solution. End quote. Bay, Vax, Deepfake, Embiggen, Yeehaw, and 455 other words have officially been added to the Scrabble Dictionary. This seventh edition of the official Scrabble Players Dictionary, last updated in 2018, includes over 100,000 two- to eight-letter words and is published in partnership between Merriam-Webster and Hasbro. The official Scrabble Dictionary is a mainstay at tournaments and included with some deluxe editions of the game, but official rules do stipulate that any dictionary the players sanction together may be used. Now, some words like yeehaw, thingy, and slushy seem like they should have been added years ago if they were going to be allowed at all, while other new words are more reflective of the time. Vibing, inspo, fintech, doxed, subtweet, Unmute and Huga. There's also a lot of food related words from various cultures guac, horchata, iftar, even marg as short for margarita. Quoting PBS, in the last year or two, the Scrabble lexicon has been scrubbed of 200 plus racial, ethnic, and otherwise offensive words, despite their presence in some dictionaries. That has prompted furious debate among tournament players. Supporters of the cleanup called it long overdue. Others argued that the words, however heinous in definition, should remain playable so long as points are to be had. End quote. And speaking of points, most likely the highest scoring word that's been added is fauxhawk. One of the cooler surprises to me is the word embiggen, E-M-B-I-G-G-E-N. I am personally only familiar with the word from the Miss Marvel comics, so I think that's pretty cool. There's also Jedi, adorbs, hangry, spork, swole, onesie, zoomer, zonky, Queso, whelp, and roid. 
And personally, I didn't realize so many different slang terms were allowed in Scrabble. Merriam-Webster's editor-at-large, Peter Sokolowski, did specify that all of these words are already in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, so this move is just making some of them Scrabble official. But here's one last interesting addition, dumpster. As Merriam-Webster explains, quote, It's possible that you've played Dumpster in the past and have been successfully challenged, a frustrating experience. Until now, this term was categorized as a trademark in the dictionary. The capital D made it unavailable for play. But now, like other words that started out as trademarks, Escalator is one, both Xerox and Google are playable as verbs, it is now a playable noun. End quote. Well, that is going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.